This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So good morning, First Prize. I'm glad we're together, and I'm glad we get to be looking at the Word together, um, specifically this proverb this morning. So let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do come before you. Lord, we are humbled as we come, recognizing that, Lord, on our own, we are not worthy. We're sinners in desperate need of salvation, and that's exactly what you provided in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we are thankful, we are joyous, and we are glad for that work, that we can be made holy, that we have been given new hearts, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been given the power to say no to sin and yes to holiness. And so, God, we are thankful for the work you're doing in us, in your church, and Lord, around the world. We pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in praying for all those who are struggling, that we would be mindful of those in need, Lord, even in our own congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to the needs of each and every person. But God, may our eyes always be upon King Jesus. May our hope and satisfaction be found in him and in him alone. Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning of our call to work our call to be obedient, our call to be faithful. And Lord, we know that that is possible only because of the victory that's found in Christ. So Lord, out of clear hearts of gratitude, may we seek to pursue you, to love you, to honor you. And God, I do pray, Lord, that you would fill my mouth with your words, that you would protect your word here, Lord, today, that you would speak to your people that they would be called by your name, and Lord, ultimately, that each and every one of us would be changed. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You know, it was about 2009 when my dad passed away, and I always remember a specific thing about that time. I was very busy, and it was intentionally so. As I watched his struggle and difficulty in his health, I wanted to keep my hands busy. There was just some kind of joy that came from work. It was the same year that we remodeled a kitchen that we were in a house that we were living in. It was the same year that I worked on pretty much all the cars. (laughs) I did a lot of different things just trying to keep myself busy because there was joy found in work. It wasn't in a sense of isolation or, or a sense of running from anything. It was a true sense of feeling helpless, but the use of my hands made me find joy. 
They gave me a sense of, 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 of really conquering things. Maybe you've experienced something similar to that, that there's just some type of joy in working with your hands, in fixing something, in making something, in creating something. You know, this morning as we consider this idea of the gift of work, and it's just that, it's a gift, we need to understand that it is truly a blessing. See, prior to the fall, man was made fitted for the purpose of work. And when God made man, he made him to work. And this was a gracious act of God. See, when he put Adam and Eve here on the earth, and he put them in a perfect garden that really didn't require anything from them, but God told them to work it. Listen to the cultural mandate, as it's called, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, God is giving that mandate to man. That man is to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion, to work it. And church, we need to be reminded of this this morning, that work is not a punishment. Work is a blessing. It's a grace that's been given to us by God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Work is not a punishment. Work is a blessing. Work itself is a grace given to us by God. See, when God made mankind, he made him with a purpose, a purpose to rule, a purpose to tend, a purpose to oversee. This command that came from God was actually a blessing. It was the grace that God was pouring out upon man. Grace upon grace. James, in James chapter 1, verse 17, says it this way, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything that's good comes down from God. It's grace. And work itself is just that. It's grace. Truth is, all that flows down is grace. Adam and Eve were placed in a beautiful garden. They were given the privilege to work it. Everything Adam and Eve needed was given to them. There was the air for their lungs so they could breathe. There was the food that they could eat so they would have energy. There was the sharp minds to think. There was the hands for industry. Everything they needed, they were given by grace from God to enjoy creation. While it's true that God alone creates from nothing, man was taken and placed in the garden, and man was there to build, to construct, to invent as a means of God's grace. What a beautiful thing to think about the fact that we each have been given the privilege and the joy to work. God's given us capabilities. He's given us gifts. He's given us opportunities. And these are all given by his grace. So clearly we can see that man from the very beginning was fitted with the purpose to work. But the question comes to each of us, how do we look at work? Do we look at work as a blessing and as a gift? Or do we look at work as a task, as a burden? You know, truly as a sinful man, because that's what I am, there's times I can take something that's beautiful 
And I can make it ugly because of my heart. And see, that's exactly what happened in the fall. All of a sudden, work became just that work. Something beautiful became something ugly. In Genesis chapter 3 marks the vast difference in the theology of work. Sin in Genesis 3 changed everything. All of a sudden, work became just that, work. Note the curse given to Adam in Genesis 3. It says, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Goes on to say in verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread. It became work. It became hard. Because of sin, all of a sudden, what was beautiful became corrupted. It became ugly. Now we live in a fallen world, and the truth is, for each of us, it takes work. It's not easy. In fact, it's not even really desirable. For many of us, we would just rather do something else than work. We see in our society this high-craving desire just to be entertained, to escape work. Because we don't see joy in it. We don't find pleasure in it. And this is why it's so essential that we understand that the grace that's found in it is given from God. And because Jesus came, that grace can be reassured. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus made it very clear that he truly was the vine. That we need to be connected to him. That all of our power for joy and happiness was to be found in him and in him alone. The Apostle Paul, writing about just that very same idea in Ephesians 2, writes this. For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're prepared for good works. That's what God desires of us. God desires us to see our need of Jesus, our dependence upon his grace, so that we can find the joy in work again. When we view the fact that we need to escape begins to display the hardness of our hearts. That ultimately we're, we're trying to do things under our own power, our own effort, and it becomes a burden and it becomes ugly. And we take something beautiful and we make it gross. But when it's been washed in the blood of Christ, when it's been redeemed, it becomes attractive. It becomes beautiful. And it produces joy. And friends, this is what we were created for, to experience the grace of God. No other created being can experience the, great of, the grace of God like we can. We understand what God has done for us, that he has sent his one and only son to redeem us. We understand the beauty of salvation, and therefore we can truly understand the joy of serving that Savior. Because we can appreciate the grace that he provides. Not just in our salvation, but the grace he provides even in our day-to-day -day tasks. That there is true joy in serving King Jesus. 
even in a fallen world? Or should I say, especially in a fallen world? Just think about that for a moment. We live in a fallen world, so, so it's not like it was in Adam's day there in the garden pre-fall. No, it's different. You're right. But Adam didn't understand fully what we understand in the person and work of Christ and how Christ redeems everything, even our work. See, this is where our text jumps in. I had to get us to the place that where Proverbs chapter 6 is really speaking. It's speaking about the fall and fallen man and the need for fallen man to appreciate work. Look at what it says, beginning of verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her way and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like a man who's armed. You see what it's doing there? It's jumping into the fact that we're fallen. And we live in a fallen world, and here the, the wisdom of the Proverbs is given to fallen man. Understand, you've been created for more. You've been created for the joy of work. That's exactly what the writer of Proverbs says. See, the writer of Proverbs is dealing with the struggle of both inward and outward Fallen man. Look at verse 6. He says, go to the ant. Notice the word go. He has to tell us here that the sluggard needs to get out of his laziness. He needs to wake up. He needs to get active. He's calling the sluggard to consider his ways. Consider the ant, he says. Learn, be wise from watching the little ant. Why? Because man has fallen. Man has fallen. And in this fallen nature of man, we have to learn from the ant. We have to learn the ant's self-discipline. We have to learn the fact that the ant has a strong work ethic. We have to learn from the ant that she's industrious. She's creative. Pay attention to her. Go to her. Rise. Get up. Look. He goes on to say in verse 7, she doesn't have a chief. She doesn't have an officer. She doesn't have a ruler yelling at her, telling her where to go. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Did you catch that? She's self-disciplined. The ant understands that if I want to eat, I have to work. The ant understands that there's an importance in making sure that I'm prepared for what's coming. I can't just assume everything's going to be okay. It's absolutely amazing in this proverb, especially in the day and age in which we live, because we need to be woken up from our slumber. Arise, consider the ant. Look at her self-discipline. Learn from her motivation. She doesn't have to be told what to do. She is a self-starter. She prepares. 
Literally, that means just simply to make ready. She's industrious. She prepares food for the future. She prepares for the bad times yet ahead. She uses her summers to prepare for her winters. Friends, what about us? Do we do the same? Do we use our years of abundance to prepare us for our lean years? See, that was the wisdom of Joseph, wasn't it? God in a dream told Joseph what would happen. And so he, he used that word, that, that message, that revelation to prepare the people of Egypt. And in that moment, he was caring for more than just himself. He was caring for others as he was using their summer years to prepare for their winter years. But what about us? Are we being wise? Are we being good stewards? Or are we being wasteful? Theologian Bruce Walkie says it this way, God is always the provider, but we must harvest in the right time and in the right way. Are we? Or are we just stepping back and we're assuming everything will be all right? We have nothing to fear. Again, notice what the proverb says. Consider the ant, you slugger. Go to the ant. See the work of the ant, the self-starting nature of the ant. There's much to be learned from the ant. But all the while, the proverb gives us a comparison. The self-starter, the self-motivated ant compared to the sluggard. Question 9, or verse 9, he asks a question. He says this, how long will you lie there? How long will you be lazy? How long will you lay being unprepared for the winter that's coming? And notice what he says, how long? It assumes that the time for production has begun, but the sluggard decided to take it easy. How long will you sit there? How long will you lay there? Arise from your sleep, he says in verse 9. Get up, get motivated. See here, the sluggard is being admonished. The sluggard is being called to arise, to get up from their carelessness. The sluggard is called to get to work. Stop being lazy, he says. Stop assuming everything will just be okay. Then he comes in verse 10 and 11 to this little, almost seems like a nursery rhyme. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You say, well, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We just all need to take a little siesta and we'll be fine. But that's not what he says. He actually goes on and says, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. If you take that attitude, you're going to be in trouble. is a wake-up call. Consider the ant compared to the sluggard. He's saying, which are you? Are you the one who needs to be admonished to go to work, to, to get busy? See, he's dealing with the inward condition of a fallen man here. He's saying, you've lost your motivation. You're saying, I just need a little sleep right now. A little, a little, a little. He repeats it again and again, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Just give me a little bit of time. But a little bit continues to add up, doesn't it? Little by little, 
And this repeated phrase adds up to a lot of lost key moments to prepare for the winter that lies ahead. The point is, if we're not careful, our sin nature can get the best of us. We've got to be putting sin to death. If we're not careful, our sin nature can get the best of us. And notice he says there very clearly in verse 11, there's a cost for this laziness. It's called poverty. Brokenness. Emptiness. The lazy, the sluggard, they will be the ones found wanting because they find their work too difficult, too inconvenient, not desirable. I preach this to you and I preach this to myself because what's so concerning is this type of struggle isn't just found out there in the world. This type of struggle is found in the believer. The one who knows of God's grace and God's provision. They're used to it. And it slowly happens over time. It begins to creep in just ever so little by little by little. We get more and more comfortable with God's provision. And we begin to work less and less, just slightly. But gradually, over time, what we slowly notice in us is we begin to presume upon God's grace. God will take care of it. We even use things like this. God will provide If it's his will, he'll do it. I have no fear. It sounds so holy, so religious, so pure. But according to this proverb, it's false. It's wrong. Because the sluggard, the lazy one, is presuming upon God's grace. And what's the result? God's chastisement, God's discipline. God's correction. For it's true, God does provide. But friends, understand this. God uses means. God uses means. Just as he provides the grace we need in salvation, he uses faith as a means to stir that up in us. God uses a way to provide for our sustenance. He uses work. He uses effort. He uses determination. And ultimately, God provides, yes, but God also disciplines. See, it's important we have a correct view of grace and work. It's important we understand how grace works, really. We must get the order straight. You've heard me say the three G's from this pulpit many times before. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. We're all sinners. We're all guilty. Jesus came. He dispenses grace to us. What a beautiful thing. Now go live in gratitude. I preach it every Sunday, week after week. But how easy it is for the believer to twist it around. And the moment our work gets twisted around, or we get the wrong order, we end up damaging the blessing. 
See, if we start to think that, yes, we're guilty, but first we have to work to earn God's grace, we're preaching a false gospel. And we can do that same thing in our daily lives. Yes, it's absolutely true, guilt, we're all in need of of salvation, and and God offers all that we need in Christ, and God gives us the grace we need. He gives us the air to breathe, the food we need to eat. He gives us the hands and the ability to do the work, and now we're supposed to go do it. That's the proper order. We understand theologically that grace enables our work. Why don't we understand that practically? Why do we forget that we're not to just to presume upon grace, but that we are to be busy in gratitude? To prove my point, just to say that I'm not just some cranky old preacher up here, listen to what the Westminster Confession says about good works. In paragraph one, it says, good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word, meaning that God's the one who determines what is good, what work we should be doing. God's prepared those things beforehand. Do those things. But it goes on. It says in paragraph two, these good works done in obedience to God's commands are the fruit and evidence of a true and lively faith. And by themselves, believers manifest their thankfulness, their gratitude by doing those things, by being busy with our hands and by serving the kingdom. We're ultimately saying, thank you. We're strengthening our assurance. We're edifying our brothers. We're adorning the profession of the gospel, which has saved us and changed us. But listen to the third paragraph. It says, their, meaning ours, their ability To do good work is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. The reason we can do anything is because of Christ. And friends, understand this. If Christ has empowered us to work, are we doing it? Are we living truly thankful lives of gratitude? Some would say, Yeah, but you don't know what kind of work I do. How can God really find joy in what I do? Friends, it's by God's grace that we work. And therefore, I believe it's by God's grace that our work is a way we provide for our families. Don't miss this this morning. There's an author by the name of Carl Truman, and he offers an illustration of his grandfather that I think speaks to the Midwesterner. He says this, if you ask my grandfather if he found his life purpose in his work as a steel mill, he would have thought you were crazy. He didn't find his life purpose in the steel mill. No. He found his way to provide for his family in that steel mill. And that brought him joy. That brought him joy. See, the problem with so many of us is too often we're looking for our meaning of life to come from our work. But understand this. Our work is a means of blessing, not the source of blessing. Let me say that again. Our work is a means of blessing, not the source of blessing. God is the source. 
And God is the one who's provided the very jobs that we can do. And we can go to work and we can be joyful because our life isn't found in that task. Our life is found in Christ. And it's out of gratitude we serve all those around. So church, understand this. It's by God's grace that we work to provide for our families. And it's by God's grace our work becomes a blessing to others. Don't miss that this morning. You going to work actually blesses other people. It does. Because you're filled with the grace of God, you may be the only light these people ever see. Because you're not cranky and complaining about all that's happening in the community, you may be the only joy these people ever experience. Your smile may be the only smile they see on Zoom. Smile. Show the joy of Christ. Be the joy of Christ to the world through you as the Spirit of God lives in you. See, it's by God's grace our work becomes a blessing to others, just like Joseph. He saved a bunch of Egyptians' lives. But it was God's grace that he was used because he worked diligently. He worked faithfully. He wasn't a sluggard. And because of that, they all looked up to him because the grace of God shined down upon him. What a blessing it is to go to work and be a blessing to others. What a blessing it is because we have been touched by the hand of God. Our lives have been changed. We don't find our meaning and purpose in what we do. We find our joy in what Jesus has already done. Because of the grace of Christ, we have the opportunity to help others in need. Because let's be honest, we all recognize it. We all fall into opportunities of need. My family did. I've told you from this pulpit, there were many times that the only reason I went to summer camp was because somebody outside paid for me to go. And here I am today preaching at a church. God used somebody else's work ethic to provide for me to eventually be called to the ministry. God uses means. And God can use you. He does use you. The opportunities we have to bless others who are, who are down on their luck, so to speak. It's a great opportunity. Not to look down, but to help build them up. To show love, to show grace, to show compassion. This is the way in which we're supposed to respond to the grace we've been given. But if we're lazy, and we're always looking for an excuse to get out of work, we miss opportunities and ways to bless others. Again, by God's grace, our work becomes a blessing to others as it creates opportunities to share the gospel with others. How many times in my workplace, when it was a secular workplace, created an opportunity over 
over a place where we were eating our sandwiches during break, somebody would say, aren't you studying to be a preacher? Don't you go to church? Hey, answer this for me. Hey, would you pray for my, they fill in the blank. How many times those opportunities came because I was at work? What a privilege it is to serve God at work. See, that's the point, really. We shouldn't be sluggards. We shouldn't be lazy. We should be driven because of the grace we have been given. We should be driven with hearts of gratitude. Friends, God has created us to be workers. And there is a real blessing found in our work when we see that our work flows out of gratitude from the grace of God. There is a real blessing there for us and for others. Therefore, this is my conclusion, we shouldn't be lazy. We should be productive. We should be remembering that we should seek to do all we can because all we do is powered by the grace of God. So therefore, as God says repeatedly in his word, be strong and courageous. And as he says in other places of his words, don't be lazy and useless. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, Lord, I pray that we see the beauty of the grace of God. Lord, that you would save us And you saved us unto good works. Good works that you have determined what they are. And you have told us that it brings great assurance as we live those things out. It doesn't save us, but it brings assurance. And it creates opportunities. So God, I pray that we would be faithful in our work. That we wouldn't be lazy. But that God, we would seek every opportunity to serve you out of hearts full of gratitude for the grace you've provided. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.